Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. My next guest on Brilliant Thoughts is Ranjay Gulati. I enjoyed this conversation because we talked all about purpose. In fact, his newest book is called Deep Purpose. Not only is this guy brilliant, I mean, he went to MIT and taught at Harvard or business administration. He also dives into the human aspect, which is the emotions and growth in the individual when it comes to companies. This is a very great conversation when it comes to growing a team, growing a business, but looking on what matters most, and that's what's happening internally. Hope you enjoy this one, because I certainly did. So join me on this one right now. Let's jump in. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success magazine podcast. I've got Ranjay Gulati with me. What's up, man? How are you? Hey, great to be here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation, Tristan. Well, thanks for being on, and I appreciate your time. Let's talk about deep purpose. Now, you've been interviewed quite a few times here, and I'm sure you asked the same question. So I want to start off with a different question, Ronda. We'll, we'll get to deep purpose, right? Deep purpose is the key here. But I want to know, what do you do on your spare time? Like, what, what do you do chilling out? What do you read? Do you take walks on the park? What do you do? I, what do I do in my spare time? Uh, of course, I have two kids. So, and my, and I have a wife. I spend time with them. Uh, that's a big one. That's, I would say, put that right up there on my list. Nice. Um, what else do I do? Hey, I have a ukulele and my daughter convinced me to pick it up. I used to play the guitar a long time ago. So I take my hand, take a hand at playing my uke. Um, nice. And what else do I like to do? I like to read. I do like to read. So oh, I read nice. outside my profession. So, you know, it's like reading things that are different in fields that are far from what I do. Um, I work out. Um, I do yoga, meditation. That's my. F- Those I are, like that, that keeps me busy. There were things I used to do that I don't anymore. Um, oh, yeah. I used to have a pilot's license once upon a time. Uh, nice. I used to windsurf once upon a time, but I don't do those anymore. I I go boating. I love boating. I like that In man. And so, with all of that, how did you get into becoming an author? Like, was this something you just wanted to do a while back or? So look, I'm a professor, by, I, I'm a professor by profession. So we do, I do research. And so I was looking at what are the important questions businesses and leaders are asking. And it was through my students that I kind of backed my way into this topic. Because if you told me five years ago, Ranjay, I have a crystal ball and you are going to write a book about purpose. I would have said, Tristan, you're crazy. Not a chance. Zero. Because to me, this purpose stuff in business was like smoke and mirrors. It was wallpaper. Purpose statements, mm-hmm. mission statements. Ah, no one does this, takes it seriously. Okay, personal yeah. purpose, maybe. We all go through our midlife crises and then we start to question our existence and our reason for being and you know our legacy and all that stuff. But I wasn't thinking about company purpose as something serious. 
And then it was a series of kind of things that happened, you know. Um, we had the Boston bombing and my students who were executives who were in residence that time. We started mm -hmm. a conversation about the tragedy, but then we, it turned into a conversation about the role of business in addressing more fundamental issues in society and to understand what is the role of business and do businesses have a purpose? I started talking to Larry Fink at BlackRock, who as an investor was asking public company CEOs in his very influential letters that, hey, businesses should have a purpose. So I kind of started hearing it there. You know, I myself started reflecting on where my interest in the subject came from. And I was thinking back to looking at small companies and a number of these small company CEOs said, you know, when, our, when my company has grown big now, it's lost something. It's lost its sense of purpose. And I was like, okay, so I'm hearing this in different contexts. And suddenly there was a kind of a convergence of thinking. And, uh, and, and, and so I started to probe the question. I did a few exploratory interviews just to mm -hmm. learn more about the subject. And I have to say, from a very cynical point of view, because a lot of companies engage in what we call purpose washing, you know, pretend purpose. Yeah. And so I was doing mm -hmm. the cynic thing. This is an expose. I look at how companies pretend purpose, but they don't really do it. And then I found some that were really doing something pretty serious, something pretty insightful. And so from cynicism, I went to curiosity. And I was like, oh, maybe there's something here. And then I probed further and my curiosity turned into, wow, this is really, really interesting. Cool. What's going on here? What are these companies doing? Now, it wasn't mainstream. If I told you mm -hmm. every company out there is doing it, this is still, I would say, uh, out there idea among a fraction of companies. But they were so inspiring. I said that, wow, if only others understood the possibilities, they might do it. That's kind of the arc of my journey into this topic. It makes sense. I mean, as, as I was getting into the book more, I started to, to understand why this, this really is the central core of, of high-performing companies. And I could totally see when a company starts off, I was correlating it to like a person. Like you get out of college, you're trying to figure things out, or maybe you're in college, you're trying to figure it out. And then you go through like midlife and you're like, wait, wait a second, what is the meaning of life, right? And I'm like, this is interesting, man. And you, you kind of did the same thing with the companies and saying, look, this is, this is why it's important. And can you give me an example? Because you mentioned something right now. You said... There are companies that are just kind of meddling, like fake meddling with, with purpose. What, what does that look like? So it's clear in people's minds as to what they shouldn't be doing. So, you know, I actually was really wanted to have a one word title for my book. And I thought it was going to be purpose. But then I encountered all these companies that were doing what I call superficial or even outright fake purpose that I had to call it deep purpose. It reached a point where I had to create a taxonomy of fake purpose. I shouldn't mm. say fake, superficial purpose. 
So at the one extreme are the completely outrageous, what you might call fake purpose companies, right? Those are Theranos, uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, responsible for the opioid epidemic. Some might even, Enron, uh, some might say Facebook. They put out a, they parade a purpose, but they're not really doing, they're in fact using it to disguise what they're really doing. It's kind of what you call, people call virtue cloaking. You're cloaking yourself in virtuous something, but you're not, in fact, anything, you're using it as a cloak. Then you've got purpose on the side. Meaning, I'm doing my business the way I want to do it, but I have a charity arm that gives away a little bit of money. So, you know, I'm, I'm Philip Morris and I'm selling cigarettes, but, you know, I have a foundation that gives money for education of poor children. And, I, and, the, and the foundation also has some other urban outreach programs that gives money to homeless people. Yeah. I'm purpose. Sounds like the oil companies a little bit. Uh, well, oil companies have come a long ways uh, in yeah. that regard. So you have companies that do purpose on the side as a hobby. So there's purpose as completely outrageous criminal activity. Then you've got purpose on the side as a hobby. I don't bring mm -hmm. it into my main business. Then the third one is the hardest one to spot. And this is purpose as win-win. I do purpose uh, stuff it. when it's good yeah. for my business, when it's good for me. So if I can find a way to make money and do good too, wonderful, sweet spot. But if it's not good for my business, I'm not going to do it. So now into this comes the question that what is purpose? Is purpose anything but profit? Is it the social stuff? And I think, you know, there's one word that has confused us. A lot of people talk about performance and purpose. That and word is highly confusing. Because when you put and between the two, you're implying that performance, purpose is anything besides performance. It's additive to performance. Mm. So suddenly purpose becomes something that is different than performance. The right word in between should have been performance with purpose. True, I see that. And, and I'll tell you what I learned, Tristan. This is, so all my life I have studied how companies grow. Mm -hmm. How do they grow and thrive in good times and bad times? Up markets, down markets. That's my, my research has been about inorganic growth and organic growth. Inorganic is by acquisitions and alliances and Organic is organically through, but driving value through customers and other things you do organically. And here's the central thing we teach in business schools. We say there are two things you got to do to grow your business. You got to have a strategy, a really good strategy that is based on your understanding of the market and competition and the future and technologies and whatever else is happening in your landscape. So you got to build a strategy. Mm-hmm. And the second one is execution, implementation, getting it done. So 
And we always say, well, implementation eats strategy for lunch. And, you know, it's all about implementation. Strategy is important, but implementation is even more important. We quibble over these kind of things. Ultimately, we know that you need both. Are they synonymous in your mind? No, like, no, no. One is about no. a plan. One is about how you're okay. going to get the plan done. And you can't have one without the other. Yeah. So we teach that, right? That you need to have a plan. And you were asking about individuals, right? We all have a plan and we have a way to get it done. So you're the pretty fit guy. So you might say, I want to get fit. And then you make a plan saying, what is it going to take to reach my level of fitness? Okay, I'm going to work out four times a week. I'm going to buy a Peloton. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a rowing machine. I'm going to work, lift weights. I'm going to do that. That's the implementation part of it. Right? So you build a strategy of what you want to, where you want to be, how you're going to play, and then you're going to have a plan to execute that strategy. And that's what we teach. Now, what I discovered in talking to companies like Microsoft or Gotham Green or Warby Parker, yes, you need a strategy. Yes, you need an implementation plan. But there was something else also. that this idea of a purpose was kind of a foundational base that helped you define your strategy, sharpen and tweak it continuously, and also helped you implement your strategy. Now, I wasn't convinced. I said, a question such as why do we exist which has a one-line answer about why we exist, is that really going to make a difference? Right? How is a one-line answer going to some way magically turn into some kind of a brilliant, like, wow, this has changed my business? And, and this was a real question to me. I mean, if you look at Microsoft, purpose statement. It's to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. And you're like, give me a break. That's generic. That's it broad. sounds nice, but you know, come on. And I came to realize it wasn't the words. It's the nine months they debated the words and talked about it and said, why do we exist? What's our long-term plan? How are we thinking about it? And I discovered mm -hmm. purpose is not a purpose statement. It's an ideal. And when you think about purpose, it's a sense of what are my goals. So it has ambition in there. It also has an idealistic cast about what are my duties. It, it, and it's long term because Thinking about purpose forces you to ask the question, why do I exist, is a long-term question. And when you think long-term, it forces you to think about the array of stakeholders you want to serve. Hmm. So all these questions come into play. But writing the statement, and then I discovered that the writing the statement is easy. What comes next is much harder. How do you turn a set of words into a set of action? But before I got there, I had to first ask, okay, how does purpose help? If it does drive performance, how does it drive mm -hmm. performance? So I had to go through an exercise of trying to understand 
how purpose drives performance. How, how did you get to that? So look, I would ask people like saying, you're telling me your purpose is helping you perform better. How is it so? Or it was observing what these companies were doing and seeing that they, they leveraged their purpose. And I said, how are you leveraging your purpose to mm. achieve greater financial success? And having social impact. So I found there were four pathways into two buckets, really. The first one really is purpose is a compass. It's an orienting framework for why, where are we going? And it creates some guardrails to help you kind of take context. So in a crazy industry like technology, where Microsoft is constantly facing challenges, or if you're a healthcare organization today where you're facing digitization, labor shortages, regulatory pricing pressures, right? It's crazy space and you're saying like, okay, what do we do? How do we sharpen our strategy? How do we evolve it? How do we change it? Purpose is like a compass. You mentioned in your book, it's, it's like, I think you're referencing the North Star, right? It's like a North Star. Absolutely. And by the way, yeah. I have a compass on the cover of my book. And that was a, took me a long time to find an image to capture purpose. I couldn't mm -hmm. find an image. Like, what do you use? A lighthouse, a star, or what? And finally, I used a compass. Because purpose is an orienting schema. So that's the first thing. But that's not the yeah. only thing. The second thing purpose does is it brings energy into the organization. It's like an operating system that changes the wiring of the organization. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk. Let's definitely talk about that. But I have a question there about the energy and, and just purpose. Do you find that the purpose for, and this is specific, for companies that have been around a while, like with Microsoft, who have gone up and down a little bit, do you find that that purpose comes back into perspective as, as a strong compass and the right energy through its different leaders or do its leaders, or does it come from the bottom up? Does it come from the top to the bottom? So look, I think the answer is both, but I'll tell you what happened usually in a lot of established companies mm -hmm. or even fast growth startups. When I began with the purpose decays, there's an erosion of purpose. As yeah. the company gets bigger and it's been around for a long time, as time goes on and size gets bigger, both of these create an erosion because it becomes like wallpaper. There are so many of us, we're not talking about it, versus a small company where all the founders are there and they'll tell you, here's why we came together. Here is the founding yeah. story. Here's how we came. Here was the idea. Here was the ideal. Here's what we were trying to do. This was our ambition. This was our goals. This was our duties. This is why we chose to be. And over time, this thing starts to decay. And that's why founders sometimes come back. If you look at Howard Schultz, who's coming back to Starbucks for the third time now. <laughs> I know. Right? <laughs> Crazy. But when he came back the second time, you know what he said? He said, Starbucks has lost its soul. Mm. If you look at Phil Knight at Nike, 
who is now permanently retired, but for a long time, he was coming and going, coming and going. Steve Jobs came and went, mm-hmm. right? Larry, Larry Page came and went from Google. You see yeah. a lot, and they'd come back and say, oh, something got lost. I want to capture that thing back. And I think what one of the things that gets lost, I wrote an article called The Soul of a Startup. Because many of them talk about this loss of a soul. And being Indian by birth myself, you know, I can relate to the idea of having a soul. So I was trying to capture, what do you mean by soul? So that's my, I had a research question for nine months, going and interviewing entrepreneurs saying, what do you mean by the soul? Hmm. And, and I was trying to unpack that. And one of the three elements they talked about was purpose, loss of sense of purpose. And I had seen that in my own mother's hmm. company, which began as a fashion startup in the early 70s and grew to a very successful couple of thousand people working for her directly and indirectly in a few years. And then completely hitting a brick wall. And her saying to me, it's not fun anymore. I've lost that kind of energy in the organization. People who work here are not that kind of inspired people like they used to be once. Something has gotten lost. But they struggle to put words on it. And so this kind of sense of purpose, so in bringing it back, is not easy. And that's why the Microsoft story is so interesting because you have here a CEO coming in to an established enterprise and saying, he said his line when he took over was, we are sick. Microsoft hmm. is broken. And here's what we're going to do to fix it. So I think it's, it's on the shoulders of leaders to really figure this out. Now, it also makes it tricky, Justin, when leaders change. So succession becomes challenging, especially for founders, because so much of the purpose is wound up in the personality and the persona and presence of that individual. That's interesting. The first thing I thought of when you said that was the consistent either four or eight year change of the presidency, right? Interesting. I hadn't thought about it before when I was reading it. I didn't think about it. But when you said that, I thought, interesting. How do you define deep purpose when it comes to what we're talking about? So I define it as a unifying idea of the commercial and social problems you want to profitably solve for your stakeholders. And I said profitably. I hope you caught that. Oh, I did, man. (laughs) And I want to know what you mean by stakeholder, too. So look, you know, we are, what's happened, unfortunately, in our world today is everything gets polarized. The word stakeholder has suddenly become a bad word. And when Larry Fink said stakeholder capitalism is capitalism, people were like, oh, my God, he's woke. He's this, you know, <laughs> it's crazy. I think people went really after him. Yeah. Ask yourself, who are the stakeholders of a business? Of course, your shareholders are stakeholders. They are putting their hard-earned capital at risk for you. And they are not all rich people. Some of them are ordinary retirees, pensioners, endowments, you know. These are not all rich people. And they are looking for a fair return 
for the risks they're taking by giving you their capital. That's one stakeholder. Yeah. Employees are a stakeholder. That's true. Customers are a stakeholder. The communities where you're doing business and manufacturing and producing and doing stuff, they're stakeholders. And if you think long term enough, the planet is also a stakeholder. It's when you're thinking extremely narrow short term that you might say, I only care about shareholder. But if you're building mm. a viable business for the long term, you are invested in your customers. You are invested in your employees. You're invested in your communities and even the planet because your time horizon is different. Now, how do we get you to think in that time horizon terms? That's where purpose is the unlock. Mm. I like that definition a lot. That's, you know what, it's a, it's a challenge because even when I was listening to you right now, when you were telling me stakeholders, uh, e even my view was limited, right? I didn't expand as much mentally as you were talking about. Yeah. So thank you for well, that. I love that. I think, you know, I want to go back to the individual also. That we are going through right now, I think COVID and other things around us, the Ukraine tragedy, a lot of things happening have made us much more reflective. You see kind of heightened anxiety, depression, mental health issues. I think human beings, we are all looking for more meaning in our lives. We're questioning our own purpose. Having seen death, illness, and so much more at close quarters. I think we are all questioning, why are we here? Why do we have such a severe nursing shortage where nurses are quitting in droves? What is going on? And I think we have to, I think there's some things that are fundamentally in, we're challenged. And I think if you look at how we have organized work, not only do people want to get paid more, that's definitely one of the things, okay? No question, people want a fair living wage. Okay. And they feel that labor markets are rigged against them mm -hmm. by saying, oh, but that's the market wage. The market wage doesn't allow me to live. What kind yeah. of a market wage is that? So there's a fair market wage debate ongoing. But I think there's a larger thing also, which is we have designed work in a way where we think of human beings as like a coin-operated monkey. I put a coin in, you'll dance for me. I'll put two mm. coins in, you'll do two dances for me. Hey, I'll make the dance more fun for you and empower you to choose the dance you want to do. Or you'll do another dance for me. But yeah. you're still a monkey. And I think... In spite of 50 years of research showing that, yes, human beings want pay for performance. Yes, no question they want it, but they want more than that. They do. And we somehow still have a model of work, which economists like to call that work organizations are a nexus of contracts. It's basically a contract. Everybody is in a contract with the company and they get paid and they get performance. 
of course we mm. want to get paid of course we want to be rewarded for the work we do but we want something else too and it's the organization's job to help us align our own personal purpose with the organization's purpose how are we going to elevate our own thinking and i think we are kind of missing this boat and i think the organizations that get it are going to win the talent war purpose is going to be a source of competitive advantage oh man that's you know what that's very reminiscent of and you you uh, you went deeper into this we interviewed jim harder from gallup uh well-being at work that was the book and he touched on what you're talking about right now so uh, dude i love this this is really good uh, now as we question purpose so I- individually because we're still on the individual right organization but individually as we question purpose and we start finding our purpose like our, our deep purpose do you do you think as individuals we have a duty to then apply it to what we do from then on so i'll tell you how i backed into this system i was studying organizational purpose and i found a number of companies that were in, involved in helping their employees find their own personal purpose they That's would cool. do purpose activation they would have coaches for them training courses for them and i'm like hey man this is pretty intrusive it's none of your business to know if the employee has a purpose or not <laughs> but i heard something very interesting first of all it was really for the employee's benefit we have data now researchers have found that people with purpose live longer healthier mm-hmm. less likely to have a heart attack or a stroke and to get dementia and they are more productive at work they are coming to work inspired they are more loyal they're less likely to quit they're likely to spend more time working on the job productively so you're like hey now you might say that's a cynical selfish reason they are manipulating you to having a purpose so you'd work harder but look what satya nadella said he said i want to work in a place where everybody gets meaning out of their work on an everyday basis we spend far too much time at work for it not to have a deeper meaning in life and the question was how can you connect your personal purpose to what we as an organization are doing kathleen hogan the chro of microsoft said to me you don't really work for microsoft until microsoft works for you oh damn that's good i like that a lot Ima- dude imagine if all the organizations that would function like that with that those ideals behind it that that's beautiful so and think about it i'll give you a totally different example pete carroll the coach of the seattle seahawks yeah i had a, he was one of the organizations i studied his organization and he said there's magic when organizations can inspire people to align their own personal passion self understanding and desire for growth with a common organizational ambition How do you make that connection happen? Dude. So how can I tell you because remember all of us have a life purpose 
But in our life purpose, there are several components to our life. What I want to do with my family, what do I want to do with my hobbies, what do I want to do with my charity and my impact work, what do I want to do at work? Work is part of life. In fact, I find the, the phrase work-life balance to be highly pernicious mm -hmm. because it implies that work is kind of not life. Work is kind of this horrible thing and then there is life. I live my life after 5 p.m. and on Saturday and Sunday. The rest of it is work. <laughs> That's very like, true. That come is, on. Yeah. What a way to live. Yeah. That's interesting. That, and that's how a lot of people live, though. That's the challenge. So you're telling me that it's the organization. Uh, now, when, when the organization has found deep purpose, it's the organization's duty to align the purpose of the individual they're helping with, with theirs to reach a higher purpose. And that's your deep purpose. Yeah. And Tristan, it doesn't mean, suppose you say my purpose is to climb all the mountains around the world. Yeah. We're not going to help you with that. But hopefully there is some part of your purpose that involves what you want to achieve through your work. Right? Maybe you do want to make a difference in the lives of your customers or communities. Well, tell us how you feel and we'll try to see if we can help you achieve your purpose at work. Your work purpose. Yeah. What is your purpose through work? And I think it's that piece of it that I think we have kind of somehow, we have relegated work to be this necessary evil. That's interesting, man. And I think the closer, I like what you're saying, the closer we become as an organization, big or small, to align our purpose with that of those people that work within our organization or the consumer, the more success we have. I could definitely see that. Huh. This is this is awesome. So then I have a question for you. Because you're you're telling me that that deep purpose is is really that me missing piece to the strategy going back to the beginning strategy and execution and I agree with you. Do you think it's also the secret missing piece too. And I hate to use secret, right? But you know, secret missing piece to innovation, to continual innovation. So I don't object to your use of the word secret, by the way, first of all. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> no. I thought you might call it out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it is secret. It's kind of staring you in the face. We all know it, but we don't know it. It's kind of too obvious almost. Yeah. And there's so much cynicism around it that you're like, purpose, let me tell you. I, I'm telling you about my own self. Five years ago, as a business professor, if you told me purpose is an unlock, and I would tell you, you're kidding. <laughs> so I'm the guilty party here myself. As I got into this research, you know, I also was like, I don't believe it. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. This is not, no, this is not true. Can't be, can't be, can't be. Mm -hmm. It was a journey for me of discovery as well. And it's secret because so few companies take it seriously. Yeah. How many companies have really, really deep purpose? I wish it was a lot, but it isn't. And, yeah, and I, I think, think it's just, it's, 
it's one of those things that I hope my reason for writing this book was to share these inspiring stories and help people recognize that there is a way. So with that, you mentioned in the book that Apple took an indirect approach. Tell me about that. So, some companies go down the path of, here's our purpose statement, we're going to communicate it to everybody in the company, then we're going to explain to people how we're going to use it, we're going to maybe have some initiatives around it, we're going to link it to our culture, we'll embed it in the organization. And mm -hmm. I, I explain all that in my book, including how do you come up with a purpose in the first place? Yeah. Some companies feel they don't need to have a purpose statement per se. They want to just distill the philosophy. You don't need, they feel that the statement itself is confusing because there's so much baggage around purpose statement, mission statements, you know, that it's like, oh God. So I don't yeah. want one. I don't want one. But you I have to, I think we all need to have a philosophy, a foundational set of principles by which we live. And so what I learned at Apple was that when Steve Jobs discovered that he was going to be dying soon, mm -hmm. he had been on the board of Pixar uh, and through that Disney. And at Disney, he was mortified on the board because every decision the board made, they would start by asking the question, what would Walt Disney have done if he was here? And Steve would constantly push back and say, but Walt is dead. He's not here. <laughs> and Walt was here like 50, 70 years ago and the world has changed. So why are we asking what Walt would have done? Mm -hmm. So his worry was that purpose of a company gets baked into an individual persona and personality and their own choices. And his worry was that when he died, that was going to happen with Apple. They would have an altar of Steve Jobs and say, what would Steve have done if he was here? And mm -hmm. he didn't want that. Got it. So how to liberate your organization to say, we want to have some foundational principles. So they wrote a series of cases in the house in which they talked about each case was about a specific decision Apple made early in its career. And the case study showed the logic and the rationale behind that decision. And the ideal here was that in exemplifying this decision making, they would reveal a purpose of Apple or a principle of Apple. So by a series of cases that every employee had to go through, people would understand more clearly what is the purpose of Apple. Does that make sense? Oh, dude, 100%. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And I, that's why I asked, because I wanted people to understand and have more clarity around that. Yeah. Right, in the indirectness. Let's talk about culture. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm bringing up culture only because you brought up football. And I love football. Good. <laughs> you, you brought up Lynch. So <laughs> tell me what... Lynch has to do with culture because I, I loved the whole story behind it, but I don't want to tell it. Uh, who has to do with culture? I'm sorry. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. 
with Seattle. Oh, the Seattle Marshall. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. When you brought up Pete Carroll yeah. and culture and, so, look, and I thought know, that was beautifully told. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, culture is one of those other things besides purpose. It's not the same as purpose. So remember, culture is a set of invisible rules we use to operate. The do's and don'ts and how you behave in an organization. Purpose is a why mm -hmm. do we exist question. Now, of course, you would argue that purpose and culture are interrelated. When you articulate your purpose, hopefully it informs and shapes your culture as well. Mm -hmm. Right? What I discovered was actually that in many organizations, the culture can become very oppressive. It's almost like the do's and don'ts, dress code, behavior code, walking code, talking code, everything is like, you know, like a Joe Orwellian world or almost. Yeah, I could see that. But I found that in deep purpose organizations, ones where purpose was in consideration, such as in the Seahawks case, the culture was a bit looser. It wasn't such a high conformity culture. Instead, I found there were two core principles that were common across most of these deep purpose organizations. First, mm. a deep sense of responsibility. Responsibility to the team, the organization, and the purpose of the organization. And the second was trust, mutual trust between the organization and the individual. Ah. And so the culture, if you look at the Marshawn story, the whole point was that when Marshawn comes to Seattle, what does Pete Carroll say to him? Marshawn, everyone has been trying to change you. Mm -hmm. I want you to be Marshawn, right? Now within limits, yeah. okay? I want you to show up to practice on time. The other part of this whole story was Pete's idea that when you're a deep purpose organization and you're trying to unlock people's personal purpose, you can only help people unlock their purpose when you really care about them. What Pete calls caring leadership. And to really unlock their personal purpose, you need to demonstrate that they, you care about not just them as a worker bee, but as a person. How am I going to help you live to your fullest potential? How am I going to establish that rapport of trust where you know that I have your well-being at heart? Well-being as a human being, not as a worker bee only. That makes sense, man. And I think, I think that's what I wanted you to bring up right there. Because once organizations that then look, our audience right here, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, big businesses, right? And, and very small businesses as well. The key, the key to what you're talking about is, is really approaching this in a way that you actually, like you care for, for those people that are working with you, right? Because the, the difference is they're not working for you. I think here is where they're working with you. And that's why I loved the comment you said about Microsoft, right? Where you say, hey, we're... We only work for you after we work with you and then you work with us, right? Because you meet us where you think we should be. And so you mentioned three dimensions of purpose. Can you talk about those, please? Yeah. 
Uh, I want to get to that. I want to just say one thing about this human beings and the human side of purpose. I think it's important to understand that when you unlock purpose in somebody, you create inspired work. The slogan of the Seattle Seahawks is, I'm in. Right? I also yeah. want to clarify that when you care about somebody, it's not like you're not challenging them. You're not lowering it. This is not mommy's love. I love you unconditionally, no matter what. You can be extremely demanding. And you expect performance. So people fear that, oh, if I'm too nice, people will stop working hard. I have to be a tough boss. I have to be demanding. A little bit of fear is good. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, yeah. how do you learn to be supportive and challenging at the same time? I think that is the key, man. How do you learn that? And that is a really hard skill. Because once you learn to be supportive and, and challenging at the same time, I think that's the, that's the, the key to growth right there. Exactly. Not only in organizations, but in relationships with people. Yeah. Interesting. And hmm. The point is that when you are developing somebody else, I think in relationship to somebody doesn't mean that you're not going to lowering your expectation. Pete Carroll has to let players go. Yeah. Right? And that's very hard. But you're saying, while you're here, I'm going to do everything I can to elevate you as a human being and elevate you as a player. I care about you. Yeah. It's very reminiscent outside of, of Seattle Seahawks. It, it's, it's reminiscent of how when Bezos was there in an earlier time, he was growing Amazon. It felt like it was very similar in the mid-2000s where people would come in there and be proud to work there. And, and that would challenge. Look, they would even take a pay cut in some cases just to work with other people that would inspire them, right? Because they were very purpose-driven. So that's what I kept on thinking when, you, when I was reading through the whole Pete Carroll, uh, Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. I think so. It was very inspiring. I must tell you that, you know, it's like, a, now it's not the only model in football, right? There's the other model, which is the, a more transactional model, which is very dominant in football. Yeah. Pay for true. performance. And so how do we decide? So back to your three points, the three unlocks in purpose, besides the directional and compass component, is mm -hmm. it's motivational. It elevates people's performance as individuals. We are motivated to work harder. There's plenty of data showing that, and young people even more so, but every all ages, it's relational. Right? It helps mm -hmm. you build relationship in your community with other companies and partners. And the third one is it's reputational. And how do you think mm. about that? So all these things are important. Yeah, they are. I can totally see how they, they correlate with each other too as form of growth and making a deeper impact. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about, tell me about having, and I found this when I work closely with, with other companies, when you're working with multiple bosses, you bring this up in your book too. When you're working with multiple bosses, multiple leaders, 
in an organization. And do you find that that sometimes can cloud the purpose where one wants to take it one direction, the other one wants to take it the other direction, and then they end up going in multiple ways and then it clouds that deep purpose? Um, so let me just think about that. Is the point that you're saying is that how different leaders can pull the purpose in different directions? Yeah. And then in essence, not truly serve the, the stakeholders because the purpose is just being, it's being spread out rather than finding deep purpose. You're finding, like you said, superficial purpose. Do you find that that's more true when you have multiple leaders? I think, of course, you know, you need leadership clarity and purpose clarity, right? I think um, both of those are important, but let's make it contemporary, Tristan. Let me make your, your question current. Go for it. We're in the midst of a Ukraine tragedy right now. Yeah. And a big decision companies have to make right now is, are we going to leave Russia temporarily, permanently? What? Yeah. Selectively, we'll do only food and essentials, but nothing else. Uh, for how long? What's our model? And then, by the way, that's Russia. We're also being asked to take positions on gun rights, voter rights, abortion rights, local community rights. We are being asked now suddenly business is no longer this we are neutral, amoral organization. We don't get involved in moral, political, social issues. Now you're like you're involved in geopolitical issues and your employees are being vocal. Look at Disney. And your oh, customers yeah. are being vocal. Look at Spotify. Mm -hmm. And if you try to hide it, then you have whistleblowers. Look at Facebook. Yeah. So you are, we are now in a new world where suddenly now businesses are going to be forced and leaders are going to be forced to enter a terrain of really difficult choices and decisions. Hmm. And this idea that I can sit on the sidelines and say, I'm a business, don't ask me. I sell products and mm. I don't want to get involved. And then you have actually people who also object to that saying that, hey, listen, we should stop asking business to get involved in anything. It's not the business's job to do social stuff. It's dangerous mm -hmm. to get them involved in this stuff. That's the government's job and regulators' job is to tax business and take the money and do what they need to do for because they're elected. Yeah. So, but that's today. I think we have gone through a a moment in time where for the first time really in a long, long time, business has to be involved in geopolitical issues. The last time it happened like this was in the era of South Africa and apartheid. Interesting. And now we've actually crossed a watershed actually. Until about a, a few weeks ago, we were like, well, if the Russians declare ceasefire, we can go back to normal again. Now, after the discovery of all these atrocities, now the question is, even if there is a ceasefire, are you going back? Yeah. It's like we're, we're forced into making a decision. And I think that's where, that's where our deep purpose plays a clearer role as to how we respond to that though. Exactly. Which then, then goes back to my original question. Well, immediate, immediate question, uh, which was when you have, when you have multiple leaders with different ideas of what we stand for. Mm-hmm. That becomes a challenge. Yeah. So then now the question is, so that what you're saying, Tristan, now it becomes important to have clarity of purpose and 
alignment around the purpose, that everyone should be aligned around the same purpose. If you have multiple lines of authority in an organization, each of whom has a very different understanding of what the purpose of the business is, you're going to have people talking across currents with each other, thinking of trade-offs very differently. Yeah. You know, imagine if you are inside an oil and gas company today and one mm -hmm. of your leaders says, hey, you know, we got to get out of the petrochemical business by in the next 10 years. The other one says, that's ridiculous. You know, we can't. That's going to be too costly for us. We're going to lose a lot of revenue. We should make it 20 years. Mm -hmm. So we have to have a transitional strategy of how do we get from conventional energy to more alternative energy. And we're disagreeing on, so, you know, how do we get mission clarity? How do we get vision clarity? How do we get strategic clarity? And that becomes important in a world where now there are many, many trade-offs and choices. I just wrote a piece actually in HBR this last month called The Messiness of Purpose. That purpose doesn't mean you've got the clear answer. It's still messy. Purpose just gives you some amount of directional clarity. Do you find, last question for you here, I have so many questions for you, by the way, but last question. Do you find that deep purpose changes over a longer period of time as our culture changes too? I think so. I think you're right. I think that's a great question, actually, Tristan, that, you know, is purpose kind of permanent and never changing? I don't think so. I think that purpose is something that periodically, it's not like a weekly, monthly, yearly thing, right? But does it mean every five years? And sometimes companies, one way to reinvigorate your purpose is by challenging it, saying, hey, maybe we should throw it away. At Johnson & Johnson, they had what is called the credo challenge. We need to challenge our credo. Either we throw it away or we use it or we rewrite it. So it became kind of a, a way to create that kind of re-energizing around it. Like, re, you know, I don't want to use that metaphor too far, but, you know, people take the renewing their vows. Maybe you got to renew mm. your purpose. I like that. Or always challenge the purpose to see if it's still standing the, the pressures of our current time. Exactly. I love that. Well, Ranjay, this was... This was awesome. It was fascinating and deep. So I really appreciate that. And your book is absolutely great. Everyone should pick it up and read it. All organizations. I'm going to blast out a little summary of it too. So oh, thank you. Thank I you appreciate for your that. Time. And you know, Tristan, you really read the book. So I don't ask this of many people, but if you don't mind when you blast the summary, can you put it on Amazon too? Because I think I want people in Amazon to write meaningful reviews. Not the one-liner, this is a great book, Ranjay is a friend of mine, mm. please read it. Mm. I'll, put a, I'll put a summary of the book and then I'll put the link to the Amazon one and then ask people to review it there. So, Perfect. This is good, Ranjay. I Thank really you. appreciate this, man. Where do people reach out to you if they have any questions? LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. And they're Perfect. welcome to catch me on LinkedIn. My name is my handle. I think it's Ranjay Gulati. So... It's always a big place. And Tristan, you really ask great questions. Wow. I, mean, I tell you, man, you know what you're doing. I mean, it's been really a pleasure. So, thanks, man. I appreciate it. No, no, no. It's not that. easy. I'm telling you, I've done it myself. So, it's not easy what you're doing. So, thanks, man. I appreciate that a lot. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. 
If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.